You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2019 film, Klaus. So I know we usually, if it's like a recent movie, we always give a spoiler warning. This is sort of like on that borderline because it's two years old, but I don't know if a lot of people have seen it. And I figure since this is a Christmas-themed movie, somebody might be wanting to check it out because it's on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it yet, but you want to see it, here's your spoiler warning. Yeah. So anyway, so this film, there's not a specific time period it takes place, but it looks, the technology late around the 19th century. And it follows this spoiled kid named rich kid named jesper his father is the head of this postal group for i forget that whatever country it is it's hilarious something like the united states postal service in that it seems to be a government agency we don't know what government is almost a military style boot camp (laughs) yes like they're even doing like push-ups and everything with heavy bags of mail yes yes and um and but, Jesper's a slacker, and he's yeah, trying to get out of this. A, yeah, he doesn't want to be in the in the boot camp. He doesn't want to work for the Postal Service. But unfortunately for him, his father is in charge of it. Yeah, his dad wants him to do this, but Jesper is spoiled. He just wants to live his spoiled rich kid life. But eventually he, 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 he sends him through this boot camp, but he has no interest in doing it. All his grades are horrible because he doesn't even try. And uh, his dad decides to give him some uh, tough love punishment. He exiles him to this town of Smirin Island of Smirinsburg. Yeah, which this- you just informed me. I, I didn't know if, that Smirinsburg was actually real. It has this um, reputation because no postal, uh, there's lo- they sent lots of postmen there and it do- they always get thrown out. Yeah, and or there's or, no letters going in or out of there. And his thing is, yeah, if you could give you a year, you have to get six thousand letters sent or running through that place. And if you don't, I'm cutting you off. You're not coming back to the house. Nothing. Right. So he's got to do this, and he comes in, and he uh, meets this very sarcastic uh, captain played by uh, Norm Macdonald. Rest <laughs> in peace. Yeah, and you. Voice cast, you know who Norm Macdonald kicked out of that? You guessed it, Frank Stallone. That's just <laughs> one of his bits on SNL. But um, he get he goes to this, and Norm Macdonald is playing with him. He's like, "Why don't you ring that bell? They'll give you a little welcoming for being the new postman." He rings it, and then there's this big fight. Yeah, and he realizes as he goes on that the reason why this place has such a bad reputation there is a very Hatfield McCoy esque family feud between these two families of the Ellingbows and the Crumbs. Yes. The Ellingbows are all identified because they have red hair. The Crumbs are all identified because they have black hair. And they're always fighting each other. There's always some creepy, sinister stuff going on. Yeah. And they don't have time to send letters because they're always fighting each other. Yes. And he also meets this woman named Alva, 
Mm-hmm. She was sent there a while ago, a fresh grad student hoping to become a teacher, but none of the kids are going to school because they're too busy fighting, and she's become completely disillusioned, and she just runs a fish shop out of this little former schoolhouse in order to get money to get out of there. Right. So it goes on for maybe about four or five months. He can't do anything because nobody's working there. But one day he decides to, there's this, he looks at the map and way out in the outskirts of the island, there's this wood house for this woodsman nobody knows. Apparently his name is Klaus. He goes there and along the way some kid is writing this um, drawing of some toy he wants. Yeah. And he's, we have to be clear here. He's on his way there, right? Yeah. And there is, it's a, if I remember correctly, it's a crumb house, right? And it's yes. kind of a tower. And he's, this kid is apparently drawing a picture of himself in the tower. And he uh, loses grip of it. And the wind uh, takes it down uh, yeah. to Jesper. He picks it up. And it's interesting. The kid has drawn himself as not happy, sad, mm-hmm. Uh Almost as if he's asking to be rescued from that tower. There's no words on it, obviously, because he's illiterate. Um, one of the one of the after effects of Alva's not being able to do what she came there to do. Um, but he picks that up and go ahead. Tries continue. to bribe the kid, saying, "Well, if you just give me a um, a penny, I can put it back in your mailbox, and then you can go get it again." Because he's trying to get letters sent. Right. And the kid doesn't really understand. And then he and then the dad comes along, and of course the he doesn't realize that the dad's thinking, oh, you're trying to blackmail my son in some way. So that he just runs away by keeping that uh, picture in his pocket. He goes to the Klaus area, and he's terrified, but Klaus is this big, giant guy. He's carrying an axe because he's a woodsman. It's this big, thick, white beard. Yep. He runs away, but he drops the letter, I mean, that picture. Yes. And then Klaus looks at it because a breeze sort of drops it and gets it in his direction. He picks it up. He go, runs back to uh, Jesper and tells him, well, send me to this place. And he brings this little present to the kid. And there's yeah. all these wacky shenanigans trying to get back in the house because there's all these bear traps and there are these guard dogs. <laughs> yes. But eventually um, Jesper delivers, delivers the, the toy. And the kid, it's a little wind-up little frog. And yeah. the kid loves it. And he's playing it with even the day after, and one of the Ellingbow girls notices that, and they start playing with it. And, of yeah. course, that is a big no-no, so they have to—both kids are sent to the higher-ups, these two heads of the families, and t- told to basically discipline them and tell them why you can't hang out with the other yes. family. Yeah. But after, while this is going on, Jesper realizes, well, if all these kids can send letters to yeah. Klaus— that we can get those toys and I can get the letters to start getting this operation going. Yeah. And so he gets meets with Klaus and they eventually decide to do it. Every night they go and they these kids write these letters to the postman. Well, it's not letters, it's mostly pictures. Yeah. And Jesper has to do all the heavy lifting basically. He <laughs> yeah. has to go he goes through the um just like in the mist, he goes through the um chimney drops them he has sometimes put stuff in stockings if he does there's too many guard dogs and he just wants to put yeah, something real there. quick he eats cookies sometime if they're left out because he sometimes he gets hungry yeah <laughs> he but eventually they're doing that and event but as they're doing that the things in the town start to improve their kids are even are more specific kids want to be specific in what they ask for yeah so they need to write letters with their names on it yeah so then he has to get alva 
to start teaching them how to read and write. Yes. And she doesn't want to do it because she's wanting to get out of here. But once the kids start showing an eagerness to learn after she tells them how to write their name, she sort of decides to become a teacher because now this is what she's wanted to do. Yeah. And over time, the town, everybody, the town's becoming friendlier. They're not fighting anymore. They're hanging out with each other. And the thing is, because after one of the mean bullies, bullies the postman when he first gets there, he decides he's not getting anything. I'm just going to put some coal. So he starts the myth of you have to be good because Santa, I mean, Klaus at this time yeah. uh, can see everything. Right. And he, 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 he sells him on that. Yeah. Yeah. So he does this. And then there's also this girl who was a Sami, which is this nomadic group, and they live on the outskirts of the island. Mm -hmm. And so he can't understand the language, so he meets Alva, and they start bonding over helping this girl. And then Klaus builds this sleigh kind of thing for Uh, her. A a sail. Sail. Uh, A a sleigh with a sail on it. Yes. But then he realizes that these toys were all made beforehand, before he met him, because him and his wife... Klaus had a wife named Lydia, mm-hmm. and they were planning on having these kids. They had trouble having kids, and eventually Lydia got sick and she passed on. So he kept all these toys, but now he's running out. And Jesper's thinking, well, I'm not getting to my letters yet, and what happens if the town goes back to the old ways? Yeah. So he decides to... Is it about that at that point? The goal is 6,000, yeah, right? so he just comes up that. with this idea about... Christmas. You don't do it all the time, but we do it on Christmas. We yep. you build new stuff, and you have to. And so, um, eventually, he gets help from the Sami people to build this workshop and get things going again. Yeah. But around this time, um, the two heads of the rival families, because they're seeing all this goodwill and how the town's changing, they want to get the postman out of there because they blame him, but they don't know how. They sneak into his office they find his little goal chart of where how he wants to get out of there so they they make a whole bunch of they form an alliance they make a whole bunch of letters to get him out of there yeah they notify the dad this is when jesper jesper is now liking the place he's falling in love with alva he likes working with klaus so he doesn't really want to leave yeah so the dad's taking him back looks like he's about to leave and everybody's betrayed by him Mm because i think he just did this for selfish purposes but then he decides to stay on the island, and he hears that what the um, Crumbs and Ellingbows are trying to do is destroy the toys. So it'll cause this anger and outrage with the kids, and then they can go back to fighting. He tries to save the because then the Ellingbows try to take that big stack of toys on the Klaus's sleigh. Right. There's a big chase scene. Yeah, chase. And eventually it's revealed that Alva knew about this all along because the kids were gossiping, so they had this whole thing planned out. But they also... Yeah. Ex- she and Klaus had yeah. it planned out. So right. they, um, Jesper almost screws it up, but he is, they still save the day at the end, and everybody kind of feels that he's redeemed himself. Yeah. And that's kind of where the movie ends. They, um, he stays on the... Jesper stays on the island. He marries Elva. They have kids. The island is now perfectly happy. Yeah. And, and he the, and Klaus continue the tradition, the Christmas tradition, for, I think, 12, 10 more 12 years, years, 12 I more years. Said. But he one time he goes to meet him and he's gone because Klaus is doing some work and he, there's always this gust of wind that yeah. supposedly the spirit of his wife yeah. guides him and then he sees the one last time and he disappears off the island yep. and the narration Jesper says well you can pretty much infer from here where things are going that he has now become the myth of Santa Claus yeah. Santa Claus 
Yeah. And so, but he says, it flashes forward, it's Christmas Eve, supposedly. He's tucking the kids in. He's married with Alva. And he says, well, every Christmas Eve, I just wait by the fireside. Yeah. And I get to see my friend again. That's I mean, how the movie yeah. ends. And I, I, re- I saw this two years ago when it came out. I thought it was very good. I re- the hand-drawn animation, I think, is incredible. Yeah, and it's a really good holiday movie, and I think more people need to see it if they haven't already. Yeah, I agree with that, too. And I also think it's, it's very clever in a couple of regards, one of, one of which is philosophical. But the, the, the first regard, not necessarily philosophical, is it just, it's a very different version of the uh, origin story of Santa Claus, right? Usually you have uh, uh, some version of the story of, uh, with St. Nicholas of Smyrna, right? And then uh, kind of a historical, uh, there's a historical chain of, as it were, uh, uh, myth-making that goes from him up into, up into Sinterklaas and, and some uh, the, uh, myths in Holland. And you, you see things picked up along the way. Well, they don't take that route. They, they make up a, basically an original story. Mm-hmm. And what's pretty darn clever about it is also it's a little bit of a, uh, a commentary on how myths develop. And very often there, there's an element of reality behind aspects of the myth. And they're, it's very funny in that regard. Mm-hmm. And a couple of, I, I love the scene where um, uh, Jesper is in that house and, and he's, he's got he's to think practically about how do I deliver these uh, presents without getting torn up by the guard dogs? Uh, oh, well, I'll just stick them in the, in the, in the yeah. socks, you know? And, 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 they have to, and then the, my favorite bit was, I forget what's going on. They're being... Uh, he and Klaus are in the sleigh, yeah, yeah, and they're being chased or something. Yeah, the Elling bows and the crumbs try to yeah, uh, take apart so they, the sleigh, but they yeah. miss him where they just take the wheels off. Right. They go up a ramp, and they have reindeer, yes. and so they go flying up in the air. Right. And, and the kid sees through the window, here's this sleigh with reindeer. Uh, the Sami supplied the reindeer, by the way, right? The trained reindeer, uh, which is historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's what they did. Right, they they herded and, and raised reindeer for meat and other purposes. But anyway, he sees it going by the window, so the myth develops that the reindeer can fly and yeah. they're pulling. That's great. I mean, they do several things like that along the way. And what's kind of interesting, just thirty thousand uh, foot view of the myth making is Klaus gets the credit. And, you yeah, know, Santa yeah. Claus gets the credit, but it's Jesper doing most of the hard work and coming up with the uh, ideas. Or the uh, part of the mythology that has to do with sending letters to Santa Claus. The, it's great. Knowing when you're good and knowing when you're bad. Yeah, he he's does, invented all of that. He does that just despite this one kid who called him a loser one right. time. Just funny. It's hilarious. And um, the, the, other, the other aspect of the film I like, I guess, is actually kind of tied to that. Um, it also plays... Uh, perhaps more than almost any other movie I can think of, to the extent it does. Others engage the theme, but um, it really uh, explores the, the uh, uh, interesting questions that evolve around the fact that for most of us, there are mixed motivations for behaving uh, in line with morality. And, you know, this is one of the aspects of the Santa myth that. Um, does get explored in, in other avenues, but they really work work it in this film. Um, the kids at first are motivated 
to uh, uh, treat each other well because of what Jesper told them, right? When, when he was talking to that one kid, Santa sees everything and he rewards good behavior. So isn't it in your best interest to, to, to uh, behave in that fashion? And uh, in the person of Jesper, uh, he's obviously got mixed motivations. In fact, almost primarily selfish motivation for a good chunk of the film. But uh, we see him kind of grow out of it eventually. And uh, there, there's that key scene after they have delivered a, the the sale uh, sled to the little Sami girl, um, where you see he's turned the corner. Yes, he's not. He's he's, uh, he's done it for. Uh, for her Selfless sake, reason, for, for her, her sake, sake. Yes. and he's all excited about mm-hmm. the fact that how she reacted to the toy, and you can see Klaus kind of being the older, wiser guy, going, <laughs> "I knew this would happen to you eventually." Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of you kind of moved away from that that mixed motivation to the more purely moral motivation. And that's a a, a very interesting. Uh, I, I love the way they developed that in this. And so, if I was to use this film for a philosophical theme um uh, or a philosophical class right um uh, we'd explore that in line with certain readings from uh, certain philosophers uh, aristotle and kant come to mind who explore that quite a lot uh mixed motivations how much credit should you give people one question is how much credit should you give people from behaving for mixed motivations even if they do a great deal of good right and then there is the question of uh, a related question uh, of you know it's just, it's just kind of a, a practical matter of fact that at least when we're young we're primarily if not exclusively but primarily motivated by what we can get out of things so one of the ways you train people up in the in the ways of being a good person is you give them those incentives uh right and the classic example with kids is santa claus right um, so they do a great job of yeah. exploring that. I mean, the big uh, line that's always repeated in this movie is, one act of goodwill always inspires another. And so eventually you can see the deeds that Jesper and Klaus are doing are helping the town and ch- getting to, uh, ending this family rivalry. And the big thing at the end is even after they've had that chase with the with the uh, fake um, toys, and yeah. they, the Ellingbows and Crumbs think they've won, but during that chase, because the head Ellingbow and the head Crumb have a very comically large son and daughter <laughs> who only, like, they're, like they say, mine, that's yeah. what they say. Yeah. One of the daughter is about to fall off this cliff, right. but the son Crumb uh, saves her. Yeah, and then they, you know, then they fall in love and get married because he did a selfless act trying to save her. And that ends. That basically puts a complete end to that rivalry. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. And that uh, that saying, "One act of goodwill always inspires another," is instantiated at various places in the film too. Uh, most interestingly, I think, uh, with the kids, with the kids. You know, I, I just said, you know, a, a primary, if not exclusive, motivation for kids to behave well is. Uh, um, and at least a way we can get them to do it on a more regular basis is by providing incentives and disincentives, punishment if necessary. Um, but we see also that there's kind of a natural tendency of the kids to not have that that suspicion of each other but across those two clans. So uh, interestingly, they're more naturally inclined 
to cooperation, um, doing selfless things for the other, for the sake of the other in the first place. So it's an interesting kind of a dichotomy there that I think they explore too. One of the things I thought I was wondering when I first watched it, where it was going to go, I thought it was going to somewhat end up like the end of the Grinch, you know, how the, the the animated, not the Jim Carrey one, but um, at the end when the, because after the end when Grinch, because he's taken all the presents and he thinks they're going to be miserable, they're still happy. I was thinking it was going to go along there where they failed to get the presents. There was no fake operation. They failed, but the t- things don't go back to the way things used to be because all this goodwill has been built up. It's just not automatically going to go away. And the kids realize we've had enough toys and everything. There'll be other times. So I thought it would go somewhere like that, but it didn't. No, it didn't. And again, I think it's it's... It's driving home that that message that uh, enough of uh, to speak in terms of the film uh, enough of a tradition of behaving selflessly will at some point just reinforce itself and it actually uh, instills a deep change in the people that will not they will not revert back. Uh, I think that's the point there. And even when you look at um, Klaus, you know who will later be. He's not Santa yet. He's just referred to as Klaus, not even Claus, just Klaus. Klaus, yeah. And every he doesn't even want to help out at the beginning, but every time he's the, the there's a new step or something else he wants to take, there's always this wind, there's this spirit yeah. guiding him. And yeah. It's supposed to be the spirit of his wife, Lydia, but you always feel his life is guided by so, something spiritual. Yeah, and I, I, I think he his tendency, because he's in... He's, grieving the loss of his wife is centrifugal he wants to just as it were retreat back into himself he wants to be a loner he's not even he's certainly not interested in the feud i mean that's at least symbolized by the fact that he lives far off on the far end of the island um but um the the wind and uh, don't forget the bird the birds and the bird houses there's a little symbology there perhaps in this film um uh, the cardinal, for instance, is a Christmas bird, right? And it's supposed to, in in some uh, traditions, uh, represent very various concepts that are associated with Christmas, including love and including uh, family connection, that kind of thing. Um, so I think something there is represented by the birdhouses, right? In this area of the woods where he's hung these birdhouses, apparently one at a time. He builds one... And then he goes out there and he uh, flings it up over and hangs it over a, a branch and the birds come and live there. And I, I, because his wife is the one that loved the birds, this is why he's doing this. And I, it's pretty clearly symbolic that the wife is there, right? And she is that, also symbolized by that, that breeze. And the breeze every once in a while pulls him out there. And you can kind of see him staring out into the woods, and it's almost like he's getting a very subtle message. And then he'll go back, and he's looking at the toys he had created. And the little kind of a grotto with the models of him and mm-hmm. her, along with the uh, the toys just below it, and the kids they had hoped to have. It's, it, it's like she's not going to allow him to become a complete hermit and draw totally within himself, right? And perhaps... Uh, uh, her force somehow or another also 
uh, pulled Jesper into the mm-hmm. into the story. And it's actually interesting you mentioned that because I saw a video with the director of the film, Sergio Pablos, and the ending of the movie was supposed to be different. In the end, they get that uh, both Alva and um, Jesper receive that wind, and they it's oh. the calling for them to join Santa Claus at the North Pole and oh. re- reunite with his friends more than they stay there, but every Christmas Eve, Jesper yeah. gets to see him. Yeah, I wonder why he changed it then. I'll have to look at the video again, but I, 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 I think I like this one more because it's all this movie, the the one that he stuck with because it's more about saving the town. Yeah. And Jesper stays and Alva stays as far as carrying on this tradition of ending that rivalry yeah. and making Smearinsburg a better place. Yeah. I like that a little bit more than yeah. they can still see Santa Claus, Klaus becoming Santa and becoming this bigger thing than he was. Yeah. And, and I, I think it, I think you're, I agree with you. I think, I think it's better that he stayed behind because he still uh, quite literally is the connection that is still with human society, so to speak. He's still the connection with that more spiritual realm that first the wife uh, was, and now Santa is. Uh, so I like that. I, I agree. I like that, too. I'm glad they didn't go with that ending. Yeah, and you mentioned before, one of the other things I kind of liked about this is even though it is a, like it feels like a folk tale, and if you're being very specific, a Arctic Circle, Norway-esque folktale yeah. because yeah. This, we mentioned the Sami people because mm-hmm. the little girl's Sami. They hang out somewhere on the outskirts of the island, but that's that's a real tribe. I actually didn't know that before I watched this movie. That's a real tribe. They're nomadic, but they're they yeah. sort of are in that Swedish Norwegian area. Yeah, and and they're they're one of the few I was reading about, and it, there's some resonance here with the way some uh, Native American groups are treated by their government. Um, they're allowed still to this day to uh, 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 raise reindeer, yes. herd reindeer, hunt reindeer, e- use them for meat and other purposes. And they're, they're, I think, the only group that's allowed to still do this. Um, and the similar things are, like I said, uh, true with certain Native American yeah. tribes. And I, I like them because they also apparently got the costuming basically correct yeah. for this and group. Like that's the... Cl- his original concept of Santa's, you know, big suit was a Sami costume. Yeah, so red, really like red being big. Yeah. And I also thought they had a little fun with it in that the, the Sami uh, are drawn to Klaus by his kind treatment of, of the little girl. And they end up coming into the big toy shop and working for him. Yes. And that there's obviously obvious resonance there, even though they're not elves. Yeah, they're not with, short. Yeah, and they're not short. But... Uh, uh, they they have a resonance with that part of the mythology. Again, another case where I love the way this movie uh, kind of explores what kind of realistic bases there are for elements of mythology, and they do a great job with that. Yeah, and even speaking of mythology, I talked about it earlier because the town is called the island is called Smearinsburg. There was an actual whaling island on Nor- uh, off the coast of Norway called Smearinburg. No hmm. S at the end. Yeah. But it, it was around popular around the mid-1700s, but it was a whaling area. But even that has apparently spawned a big myth because they people think of it as almost this western boomtown. You know, you'd spike up, you have all these bars and so gambling dens and all this stuff like you would in these boom areas. Mm-hmm. But most people say at the best there were maybe 400 people on the island and 
it lasted maybe about 30, 40 years. By the end of the 1700s, it's been abandoned. But apparently you can still – it's a national park. Interesting. And if you travel there, I saw pictures. There's still some remnants of the buildings, some ruins. But that, but there's still a myth about like this you know, old time where there's you know, big boom town out in the middle of nor- nowhere. Yeah, which uh, again might have a slight resonance, although they didn't quite do it there, but – a slight resonance with the uh, the idea that Santa and his workshop are yeah, far are north. north. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, it, it, I'd, I'd like to know more about the Sami in that uh, uh, they were very, like you said, closely tied with the whaling industry, right? And uh, you have to remember that at that time period, sixteen, seventeen hundreds, there there were a lot of uses for for whales, the oil, the baleen, all kinds of things. Um, be kind of interesting to see how their connection developed with it because i don't think they were whalers necessarily um and uh um uh, how they how they interacted with uh, the rest of european culture I, I don't know the answer to that it'd be interesting and going back to the norwegian influence i know some of the beliefs of santa claus originated from the myths of odin and the norse god mythology and of course that's from norway in that area yeah absolutely and and uh uh, again, ref, re, uh, referring back to center clause, um, they you can trace the uh, inspiration for that name back to Saint Nicholas uh, over in Asia Minor in ancient Greece. He, he lived around three four hundred A.D. and he's an interesting story. I don't think a movie has been made about him, but he, similar kind of thing. Um, uh, apparently. He uh, had a, a great concern for the welfare of kids, just like we see Klaus, uh, and uh, helped, in, in many cases, kids that were going to be sold into slavery or worse, get out of it by uh, uh, rescuing them in various ways or, or giving them gold and uh, sneaking into their houses at night to give their families gold so that they could buy their way out of their predicaments. Um, similar, again, similar kind of story. Uh, you can see they tapped a little bit into it with the Klaus story, but they've placed it in a, compar- a completely different part of the world. And it does, it does make you wonder uh, uh, if an interesting follow-on project, maybe not for this guy, but for somebody, would be to make a, a movie specifically about St. Nicholas. That would be... I think a, a worthy project. And I think stuff we're bringing up is why I think it's this is different from something like the old Rankin Bass cartoons that told the origin of Santa Claus, and that was the one with Heat Miser, right? Yeah, yeah. And that one, it's completely fantasy. Yeah, because it doesn't necessarily specify where they are. They say just somewhere in the North Pole. Yeah, and there isn't any of that folklore with the Sami people or right. any of that or Smearnsburg. Yeah, and this one it is. That's why I think it. It's a more folktale than less just complete fantasy. Yeah, and it's also it's also a bit more of a serious film, although it is a it's, it's a kids movie. It's though. a kids, kids movie, kids, but kid, it, kids humor. The Rankin Bass shows are famously lighthearted, right? Uh, it, they're primarily primarily just comedic, um, whereas this one's got some pretty serious thematics in it in, in terms of this, like we've talked about, this meditation on morality and self interest, and then on the other side, just this. This uh, 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 meditation on myth making and how it evolves and 
in its relation to actual history. Uh, so, you know, in terms of kids' movies, it, it's going to make, that's what I like about it. It's going to make kids think about these issues and adults. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at soundacinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.